0: What's going on, everybody? We're back to discuss UFC 221 and all the results that came from that card going down in Perth, Australia last night. It was actually a really entertaining card. It was one of the cards that was being talked about as one of the worst cards in quite some time, if not you know, one of the worst pay-per-view cards in the history of the UFC. It turned out to be a really entertaining card Uh, a lot of good wins by a lot of young up-and-coming stars Uh, a lot of potential for some of these guys to actually become stars it's one of these cards where you look back on it and you say to yourself This could perhaps be a card where we look back in about three or four years and say, wow, look at how stacked this card was. And we didn't even know it because all these guys are so young and talented. And all these guys just haven't gotten their opportunity as of just yet. And are just making a name for themselves in the UFC. So let's get right into it. Let's talk about the following fights. Um. Well, let's let's discuss real quick let's just go over the the fights that I'm not really going to discuss too much in depth Luke Jumo defeated uh, Daiichi abe abe I believe by unanimous decision uh, Jose quiñones defeated Turuto Ishihara be, via um, the unanimous decision as well it was a pretty good back and forth fight where Ishihara was able to um, get Quinones rocked a couple times but Quinones keeping his distance really utilizing his kicks especially to the lead leg and really disrupting Ishihara's movement coming forward was able to get the win right there Ross Pearson gets a win over Mizuto Hirota by unanimous decision as well he looked good in this fight uh, good fight against two uh, big time veterans right there so that was fun to see and then Alexander Volkanovski versus Jeremy Kennedy Volkanovsky winning by TKO punches unfortunately I missed that fight so I don't have too much to say about that and then you've got Dong-young Kim defeating Damian Brown via split decision okay so let's get to the rest of the card we'll start at the, with the main event And then we'll work our way backwards. Let's start off with Yoel Romero versus Luke Rockhold. Yoel Romero defeats Luke Rockhold via third round KO. He absolutely uh, dismantled Luke Rockhold at the very end of this fight. It was a very intriguing matchup going into the night. I had predicted that Yoel Romero would win this fight just based on the fact that... I believe that Rockhold has left himself open for the potential to being knocked out. And with a guy like Romero, who's so athletic, who's so so dynamic, who's so explosive, I thought that there would be an opportunity for him at some point in time to get a knockout. I think I predicted in round two or so. But this is how the fight really went. And I I didn't necessarily see the fight going this way um, in terms of how it actually played out. Luke Rockhold, from the beginning of the fight, was the one he he seemed like he was going to be early on dictating the pace trying to figure out what range to keep it at and your romero really struggled with the height and reach disadvantage that he was suffering from against rockhold in that first round but you could slowly tell that romero was was fainting, was trying to get reactions out of rockhold trying to time in just measure what type of reaction he was going to have if he blitzed in, what type of reaction he would have. Um, you know, should he throw a punch? He was just throwing some punches out there trying to see, okay, how, how close do I have to get in, right? So Rockhold definitely won that first round. He was able to land some better punches. He was able to land a few kicks in there as well. And I thought Rockhold's game plan... To kick was going to be what would have helped him win this fight against Romero. I thought a ton of leg kicks to the you know to the lead leg of Romero, hampering the ability for Romero to really push off on that leg, as well as his ability to throw kicks to the body of Romero in order to get Romero tired out. I thought that that would be the the best game plan, and then really to keep him at range with his jab and his straights, and not really getting into a firefight, not really trying to land anything too hard until he get into the later 4th or 5th rounds where he could absolutely uh, take over. Uh, At that point in time, maybe Yoel's conditioning would have gone down, but that's not what exactly happened. Rockhold wasn't being active enough, I thought, and by the second round, it was apparent to me that they were fighting Yoel Romero's fight. The reason I say that is because it was very slow. There wasn't a whole lot going on. Um, Rockhold was letting Yoel just fight at his pace. And in that second round, Yoel actually blitzed Rockhold and started hitting Rockhold with some good punches to start off the round. He landed some heavy damage. He even started to uh, swell up on the right side of his ...of his forehead, uh, did Rockhold after some exchanges with Romero. And the problem with Rockhold is that he just went straight back. He kept his chin straight up in the air. It was an easy target for Romero to get to. He didn't really circle out too well. And he looked to be surprised by the, the quickness and the ferocity that Romero came with in that attack. And then they went back into the center of the octagon, Rockhold again just not really putting the pressure on Romero's uh, legs or his body. He was just kind of content to pick a, pick him, you know, his strikes here and there. Was not able to come out with the victory in that second round, in my opinion. I thought Romero won that round very cleanly. Um, in the third round, this is where it became very apparent that Romero was really starting to take over. And the reason being is because the whole fight, it seemed apparent that Rockhold was content keeping the fight in the middle of the octagon and would, you know, would contend that he would be able to eventually start jabbing and find his range and distance in order to keep Romero away from him. He actually did start doing that very successfully in this third round. The problem was is that he was no longer in the middle of the octagon. He was a little bit behind those black lines that are on the edges of the octagon closer to the cage. And I thought, this is perfect for Romero. Romero starting to stalk him. They're still fighting at a slow enough pace where Romero is absolutely still... Uh, within great conditioning range right now. He's not really having too much of an issue, and um, sure enough, he exploded with a a double jab with his right hands and then came over with the left, absolutely tagged Luke Rockhold, who fell against the cage, face-first into the cage, and then Rockhold uh, was put away with just a nasty, nasty uh, like shovel punch or uppercut that that uh, Yoel Romero landed as Rockhold was looking off to his left. Didn't even know where he was at that time. And that punch really knocked him out. Um, Beautiful performance by Yoel Romero. Uh, Not a good game plan. Not a good execution of the game plan by Luke Rockhold. I thought that he did an excellent job developing his jab and continuing that. But... He wasn't able to keep it in the middle of the octagon, and I thought he did a really poor job of not ever going to the body with his leg kicks that are super powerful, very technical. I think he's got excellent leg kicks, and then also not attacking Yoel's lead leg with continuously with his kicks, although um, his gap... His shin got bloodied by Yoel checking one of those kicks. It was very apparent after the fight that Yoel was very, very much hurt by one of the kicks that Yoel did land on him. So that was a that was an issue, and that's something that Rockwell could have definitely taken advantage of. Um, he let Yoel really fight at his pace. They never they were never at a pace where I felt that Yoel would be in danger of you know gassing himself out by the fourth round. If anything, I thought maybe the f- end of the fifth round would be a little tough for Yoel, but at this pace, looks like he could stay in the fight all five rounds. For Yoel, excellent, beautiful job. Stayed really patient, really used that first round to measure and to figure out, okay, this guy's a lot taller than me. This guy's got much bigger reach on me. Uh, how do I get in? And he measured him very beautifully. In that second round, he immediately came out, set the tone for the rest of the fight, really blitzed Rockhold. And I think that made Rockhold a little bit tentative to um, put his game into into play. And, uh, and Romero was just, like I said, able to set the tone. And then in that third round, absolutely played it beautifully. Ended up getting into his range, Romero did, and then ended up getting the fight to to the space of the octagon where he wanted it not in the middle but more against the cage more behind those black lines once that happened it was over and uh, Romero awesome awesome job with that third round t- with that third round KO Rockhold clearly this is a disappointing loss for him he's already 33 years old he's suffered some nasty knockouts at the hands of Michael Bisping Joel Romero and Vitor Belfort you've got to wonder what, how good his chin is. It clearly, it has some deficiencies. He's getting. He's only getting older. Um, it's tough to say who he he should fight next. I always sense a little bit lack of focus, a little bit of unhappiness with Luke Rockhold. There's something just not quite there for him. I feel that he's got a lot of the talents, but he's lacking something in his striking game plans. Even. Though he's training with a guy like Henry Hooft and some of these phenomenal striking coaches, but he's also lacking a little bit something in his desire, it seems like. It seems like he's never really too happy in his life. There, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some personal issues going on. I've heard uh, some rumors about that, so it's just a wonder where Lee Grockhold is. Is at in his life at all times? You never really know what he's thinking and and how he's training and how he's preparing. Um, so we'll see what happens with Rockwell for him next. You could do uh, Kelvin Gastelum, you could do Chris Weidman next. Um, if you want to give him someone that's more so coming off a loss rather than a win, um, you know, there's a couple different options uh, you could do. Um, Well, I mean, most of these people actually are coming off wins, but maybe you could do uh, Derek Brunson, who is coming off a loss, actually. That would be a pretty good fight. Uh, See which one of those guys can catapult themselves back up into the top of the division again. I'd like that fight next, Uh, Rockhold versus Brunson. Let's talk about Romero for a second. Unfortunate that Romero missed weight by 2.5 pounds, I believe, is what it was, 2-3 to pounds. Uh, Very unfortunate, because he definitely deserves the interim title belt after that performance. It was a phenomenal performance. I think that what people aren't realizing is that I thought he fought really smart in this fight. I didn't think that he just used all his physical tools and just, uh, you know, that's what went him to fight. A lot of past fights, I think that's what happened, but I think he's actually getting has had enough experience in Octagon, has um, trained enough, and is really thinking smartly in these fights, and is really trying to figure out how to dictate his own game plan, how to go at his own pace, and he's really done a great job of implementing that in the past few fights. I absolutely think Yolo Romero is deserving of the next title shot against Robert Whitaker. He dismantled uh, Luke Rockhold in that third round. He won the second round Clearly to me, he didn't lose the first round by a big margin. So even even if that was, let's just say, a three-round decision, I would have called that for Romero. And it looked like it was going in Romero's favor even into the later rounds, which is surprising to many considering that they thought his conditioning would be a major factor in this fight. But again, was very smart and methodical with his own game plan. Did a great job of, of fighting his pace, fighting his fight, and I, w- I was really happy to see him be able to figure those things out for himself. Romero versus Whitaker has to be next. That was a close 5 round decision in which Whitaker won. It wasn't a dominant absolutely steal away victory for Whitaker. Um, Not saying that Romero won that fight or was close to it. I think that Robert definitely deserved a unanimous decision of victory. But I'd definitely love to see that fight one more time. You give Romero one more shot at the title. He's 40 years old. This is a, the best time as as it's going to get for him, considering that he's only going to get older from here on out. We'll see what happens with Whitaker's recovery. He's obviously just became a father to a, a daughter recently, and uh, Romero also was hurt in that fight against Rockhold as well. So you have to consider how much time they're going to be out for. But once they're ready to go, I think you do Romero versus Whitaker too. And I would say this, I would say this. Romero looked really impressive in that fight. Whitaker better come correct in that fight because uh, Romero, I think, is starting to really become a lot more intelligent. When how to deal with himself, and how to fight himself in these fights, and how to pace himself. I thought he did an excellent job. I still would favor Whitaker in that fight. I think he's got better, well-rounded tools striking-wise. I think that he does a great job of staying out of range, um, which is something that I don't think Rockhold is as good at as uh, Whitaker at this point in his career. And so, for that reason, I believe Whitaker would still be able to win this fight. But, man... That is a great, great fight. I would love to see that once again. So let's move on to the light to the co-main event, which is which featured the heavyweights, Curtis Blades versus Mark Hunt. Man, this was uh, very intense early on. Curtis Blades definitely was trying to find his range against Hunt. It just wasn't really working. Hunt looked so relaxed and so ready to attack at any point against Curtis Blades, and he did exactly that. Hit. Curtis Blades with a few i think a few right hands that really hurt Blades early on or later in that first round really stunned him and I was just thinking to myself if he had landed with the left it might have been night night Curtis Blades may have gotten lucky that it was just the right that hurt, that landed i mean he got dropped you know it seemed like he felt to his knees about twice and then he went for a desperation a takedown that he was able to land against Mark Hunt Really rode out the rest of the round with that and lost that first. It, it, it's tough. It's close. I almost thought that Blades not, had controlled that round so much that that was, that round was actually a draw. That's how I scored it because Hunt did most of the damage in that round, but it was very short-lived. And on the other hand, Blades, he did not do a whole lot of damage, but he controlled most of the round. So for that reason, I gave that a that round as a draw, but you could have scored it for either fighter or you could have given it an even round. So, uh, going into rounds two and three, I thought it was very interesting because I thought that there are other people that could have had it scored the same as I did. So that would be a lot of emphasis on one of these two guys to really come out with a 10-8 round in one of these rounds or for them to win both rounds or, or get the finish. Um, but at the end of the day, Curtis Blades came out. That second round was looking to wrestle right away. He was able to get Mark Hunt down to the ground. Uh, really able to control him. Not do a whole lot damage-wise. Um, still was getting the coming up short on the end of the striking exchanges. But nothing really da- damaged him too bad in that second round. So... Clearly gave that second round to Curtis Blades. By the time that third round came, Blades was really just able to impose his will with his wrestling. Hunt was quite a bit tired and gassed out at this point in time. Didn't look terribly gassed out or anything of that nature, but you could tell he was just tired enough in the sense that um, he just wasn't going to be able to continue fighting off the takedowns as he was earlier, like say you in the early second or even in that first round. So Blades was able to impose his will, started to ragdoll him around a little bit, um, was able to get him better control. I thought Luke Thomas had a great point. He said that Curtis did a great job of being in very dominant positions in this fight, but wasn't really able to land a whole lot of damage in ground and pound. So this is what I would say. Curtis Blades absolutely won this fight. He was able to land a little bit more ground and pound in that third round, in that decisive third round. But he's still got a lot of work to to go. He's still 26 years old. You think about guys that start out early in their careers, and I equate a 26-year-old heavyweight... You know, tie to Tuivasa, to who's, I believe, 24, I want to say. I equivalent those guys to being, like, 21, 20-year-old 20 lightweights, 20-year-old uh, welterweights, like a Jake Matthews who made his debut at 19, right? These guys are so green. These guys still have so much experience to catch up to, considering that these guys that are dominating in the heavyweight divisions are somewhere between their mid and late 30s some into their early 40s as well, and they've got a lot of growth to go through. I think that this is the real problem for Curtis Blades, though, because Curtis has now defeated Mark Hunt. He was number nine in the UFC heavyweight rankings. I believe that he'll surpass a Tibera and uh, Volkov, considering I think that those two guys may potentially lose. Volkov beats Verdum. He'll move up as well. But now you're in this weird spot where you've got to start facing these guys that are really in the um, upper echelon of the heavyweight division. I think Curtis still has a lot of work to do with his striking. I think he even has a lot of work to do with his ground and pound and really getting better to the point where he can be offensively damaging when he does get it to the ground. Because he does an excellent job of getting in great positions, getting into half guard, getting into you know mount where you can land a lot of... Um, you know, ground and pound, but he also doesn't seem to have a lot of pop. Whenever he does hit these heavyweights, that's a problem in this division. He needs to have pop to really contend with the these guys that are absolutely that absolutely have power in their hands, like a and Overeem, Verdun, Velasquez. All of these guys have power. Hunt, Lewis, all these guys. Blade seems to be a lighter hitter than all these other guys. So for him to be dominant, for him to really have a shot. In this division, I think he's got to get competent enough with striking to where he doesn't always, where he can actually set up his takedowns. But second off, he needs to get really vicious with his ground and pound, or really, really good with his jujitsu, so that he can have some finishing ability when he get does get the fight to the ground. Because if these guys get back up, it could be a real problem for him. Considering that I don't think he's ever going to be an elite elite striker. He has an opportunity to be so. But it's tough to really learn all these elite skills when you're having to train for the elite of the elite in the heavyweight division. If you give this guy another five years to face guys that at this level, you know, give him a Stefan Struve, an Olenek, a uh, Arlovsky, uh, a Volkov, a Tibera. You know, if they can do that for the next three years, really let him develop his skills, that would be great. But I have a feeling that he's going to be fast-tracked a little bit considering that... The, this heavyweight division is pretty shallow. He's not going to get a whole lot of time before he faces a Verdue of Alaska as an him. I think it might be too much too or too soon uh, for for this Curtis Blades. I think he needs another few years before he can really contend with those upper echelon opponents. But Considering that he's going to start facing some of those guys soon, I worry that he'll be a little bit damaged by the time he those three years come, and he won't actually have gotten so much better, because he'll have to have prepared for his training camps, not to get better for himself, but to train for a particular opponent. And that's difficult to learn and evolve at the same time as training specifically for an opponent that is very very dangerous so we'll see how his development continues i thought he showed a lot of promise i thought he looked like he was in excellent shape um, got a lot of work to do but he's still a, a good prospect in this division we'll see what happens next for him I, I wouldn't mind seeing him face the winner of Derek lewis and Marcin tibura i believe that's who's fighting in Austin next week that would be, I think, an ideal matchup for Curtis Blades. See who can win out of that fight. And Ngannou's going to be out for some time, it seems like. So if Derek Lewis is ready to come back right away, I think Lewis versus Blades would be an excellent prospect fight. And if Taburo is able to win, why not do that one as well? So, As far as Mark Hunt goes, I don't really think his sock... Goes down that much, I think a lot of people at this point in his career he's in his upper he's in his forties already aren't really looking at him as a title contender. they're looking at him as a guy who can be a fun fighter to watch, and he certainly is he really made it. Um, a tense fight early on he's 43 years old that's absolutely incredible at this point in time I just want to continue seeing Mark Hunt put in these matchups where he's in fun fights or against a guy who's a prospect rising through the ranks and see if that prospect is ready for the top 5 but Hunt you know you could do a number of different uh, fights with him maybe do Arlovsky next if he's able to get past his next opponent that would be an interesting fight I wouldn't mind seeing, um, the Battle of the Old Guard up next. That would be interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, you could do a number of different matchups with, with Mark Hunt. I don't think there's, there's anything in specifically, but just keep him in some fun fights or give him another opponent that's a, a guy that's trying to make a name for himself and see if he's able to pass the so-called Mark Hunt test, right? So, um. We'll see what happens there on out. Let's go on to the next fight, which was Tai Tuovasa versus Cyril Asker. So this was just a dominating fight by Tai Avassa. I mean, he came out. He really... Imposes well very quickly. There was no doubt about it that he was going to win this fight. It was all easy for him. He just landed huge, huge heavy punches to the body. Also to the head. He was landing elbows. Everything that he could. He really loved the way that he was mixing it up against the cage against Asker in this first round. He ended up knocking or uh, TKO'ing Cyril Asker in round 1 at 2.18 of the first round. And it was very, very easy smooth for him. He continued to go in with the body shots and then go up to the head. He would just do that over and over again. Go to the cage where Asker was standing up, and he would go to the body, go to the head, step back, reset, do it all over again. It was very, very impressive. Asker, I don't believe, is a top-notch competitor. You know, also ivasa's other win became, came against Rashad Coulter, who's, not another, who's another guy who's not going to impress too many people either. So you have to take that for what it's worth. But, again, this guy's 24 years old. I really want to see him develop a little bit. He's got a ton, a ton of potential. Um, looks like he's got... Uh, you know, he looks pretty overweight, but it looks like he almost lost a ton of weight and for that reason just has a lot of loose skin. Um, So that could be the the result of the way that he looks. But But he moves very fluidly, he moves with a lot of quickness, he seems to have a pretty good gas tank, he didn't really gas himself out in that fight at all in those early rounds when it looked like he could have, especially with the amount of damage that he was landing against Cyril Asker. He finally ended the fight with a really nice step in elbow, so he's got a nice diversity of strikes um, that go along with his game. I really wonder to see what his uh, wrestling defense would be, what his ground game looks like in general. We're not going to find out that out until he faces a guy who's uh, a better wrestler than, you know, a Cyril Asker or Rashad Coulter who doesn't really wrestle at all either. Um, this is a guy who has seven wins, and all seven wins came by KO or TKO. Again, he's 24 years old. He's from Australia. He's got a lot of potential to be a star with the type of personality that he had. He cut a great promo, and then he had the uh, one of the highlights of the night for many people. He actually went into the crowd. They poured a beer into a shoe, and he actually chugged it from the shoe um, before he went back into the locker room. So, pretty funny guy. Um, seems like a guy maybe I wouldn't hang out with. Seems a, a little bit of a... Uh, you know your prototypical jack just wants to party a little bit, or stereotypical jack is what I would say, not prototypical. Um, you know, just wants to party and hang and, and, and let loose. But hopefully he can keep on the, the the straight and narrow for the most part. You know, have his fun, of course. But if he can continue to really develop his skills, I'd be very interested to see where he goes next. I don't want to see him against a guy in the top 15. Give him you know, two or three more guys that aren't really in that range, Uh, maybe two, because after about two more guys, people are going to want to start seeing what's his true potential, but he is very, very young. Like I said, 24 years old at heavyweight is like the equivalent to a 19-year-old at lightweight. He's got a lot of Uh, years ahead of him, a lot of work ahead of him. He's only got 7 wins. Very young, very uh, very young in his fight record as well. only has 7 fights total. So I really like that about him. He doesn't have a lot of mileage on him. But let's see him fight 2 more times before he gets like a Stefan Struve in the top 15. And uh, if he's able to win and then give him a grappler in that third fight. I'd say let him have another showcase fight in this next fight. Really let him develop and then that that fourth fight in the UFC, let's see if he can finally get past you know, one of these grapplers. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if it'll be easy for him or, or not, but if it is, then he's absolutely ready for the top 15, and you just release him and see if he can start making a run at the title, but a lot of talent here. Really liked his ability, but we'll have to see what happens next. I mean, he's still facing lower-level competition, but Definitely like I said, this is one of the guys where you could look back on the card and say, Man, Ty Two of was on that card. That was that that was awesome. That was an awesome performance. That was a coming out performance for him. Okay, so let's talk about the next fight that was on the card. And that was uh I believe let's see here. Let's go back a little bit. That was Jake Matthews versus uh, Lee Jiang Leong. Yeah, this was just a really good win by Jake Matthews. I thought he was dominant in this victory. He could have put... Uh, Jiang Liang away a few times with a choke, with a guillotine choke. He didn't necessarily have it all the way in. They said it was pretty deep, but I could tell that there was enough room in order for Jiang Liang to uh, pop out. He had him rocked a few times. Matthew's looking absolutely just massive at that welterweight division. Um, he did a really good job in this fight of really dictating it. He His overall striking game was really nice. He did a great job um, He did a great job of just in implementing his game plan and really staying on top of it. There was one point where Jiang Liang, during the guillotine, was actually eye-gouging Jake Matthews. That was the biggest storyline from this fight. Uh, let's just talk about that for a second. I think that I would have been okay with at least uh, one point deducted. But, yeah, you know, looking back on it, you have to disqualify Jiang Leong for that. You know, it looked like the referee knew that that was happening. Um, Someone put it in in perspective. They're saying, you know, you could literally cause someone their eyesight for the rest of their life if you do something like that. I think it's absolutely unacceptable. Jake Matthews, absolute pro, was able to get past it. Say, you know, it is what it is in the fight. Um, Whatever, he was able to look past it. But even so, the commission, the refs, those guys need to be more responsible and say, you know what, that is absolutely unacceptable. You cannot set, you cannot set a precedent for people to say, you know what, all they're going to do is warn me that they're, you know, I might get a point taken away. A point taken away should be the least that happens in that type of situation. But he really should have been disqualified. Um, Jake Matthews, it didn't really hinder his performance at all. Matthews was able to come out dominant in that victory and really show a lot of progress in his development. You know, this is another young guy as well, Jake Matthews. He looked huge and really good at that weight division. He looked like he slowed down a little bit. Would like to see him make sure that he's not putting on too much weight in that 170-pound division, uh, just to make sure that his conditioning does stay you know, at its peak. But I'd definitely like to see what happens to him going forward. I believe he's 23 years old. This kid started at 19 years old in the UFC. Has a lot of good experience. It could be his time to start finding out what he really wants to do, what his true game plan is for each and every fight. It's kind of like that Rory McDonald thing that I was talking about. This was, Rory McDonald was a kid that learned mixed martial arts at a very young age, was in the UFC at a very young age, and it was tough for him because he was suffering losses in moments where he was experimenting, trying to learn new things, and that thing can be a little bit of a hindrance to you when you're preparing for such tough guys and such guys at these elite levels. But it seems like to me that Rory McDonald, you know, at his age now, about 26, 27 years old or whatever he is, has finally understood, okay, I've learned all of these skills, but now I know which ones to use, which ones not to use, in which moments to use it. He found who he is as a fighter, and now he can go out there and compete with the elite and more often than not win rather than lose. I think Matthews is getting to that point. I still think that he's in that process of learning and developing while still facing some tough competition. But I think Matthews, in about two or three years, 25, 26, will really f- feel who he is as a fighter, be able to understand, okay, I've learned all of these different skills, but here are the ones that I'm going to use the most in these situations and really is going to become a dangerous fighter. Another guy that we can look back on and say, man, this was another guy that was awesome on this card uh, that we should have seen coming and this card wasn't so bad after all. So definitely would like to see him continue to fight fight guys a little bit more ahead of Jiang Liang in the welterweight division. But you know, keep him going slowly throughout the those ranks. You know, it's tough to get to the top in the welterweight division. So I'm not too worried about him as I would be at a tie to Avassa or Curtis Blades having to face the lead of the elite too fast. But keep him going. Let's see I would say for me Personally, I would like to see Jake Matthews. If he's able to get within that top 15 range by age 25, that would be a success. Uh, that top 15 range at age 25 would be perfect. Uh, timeline for him, he could really take his time to learn and develop his skills, develop his game plan and what he likes to use. And by that time, I think that he'd be ready and good to go to face those top 20, those top 15 opponents should he continue to win from this point forward. Next fight on the card was uh, Tyson Pedro defeating uh, Saburbek, uh, Safarov, I believe. He defeated him by submission Kimura. He did an excellent job of defending the takedown. Tyson Pedro was absolutely doing what he wanted on the feet, landing his nasty knees, some good punches, and looking very impressed. He came out very relaxed and happy as. Go lucky as he normally does. It was a little bit... You have to worry about a guy like Pedro, who, you know, suffered his first loss in his last uh, outing against Alir Latifi by unanimous decision in a grueling three-round fight. It was his first uh, taste of a fight like that. But then he came back against Safarov. Did a really good job of defending the takedowns. Definitely getting better with that. He still needs a lot of improvement, though, because it is a little bit too easy to get him against the cage and grapple and control him there and make it difficult for him to get out. He's able to get out, but it's still difficult for him a little bit too much, especially when you're going to go against these guys in the, in, at the top of the division that are way better at wrestling than he is. Even an Alexander Gustafsson, who's not a wrestler by trade, but can, but can wrestle. He definitely would be able to control Tyson Pedro on the ground and get him there in my belief. Um, But again, this is another guy from Australia, 26 years old. Got a lot of potential. These are the guys he should be facing. I don't think it was too early, too soon for him to face Latifi. I thought that was a great matchup. I thought it's a real learning experience for Tyson Pedro. It showed him what he needs to work on. He did a great job of uh, really learning from that fight. He was able to get the Kimura transition from, you know, Safarov was trying to get a double leg takedown. He was able to get those hands unclasped from uh, Safarov. And once Safarov let loose just a little bit, he gripped that Kimura, he ripped it, he was on bottom, and then flipped uh, Safarov over to where he could get on top. He still had the Kimura a little bit too far out. He was able to bring it in a little bit and really crank on it once he got his leg behind um Safarov's uh, head, it was a beautiful, beautifully executed Kimura and adjustment that he was able to make, and that ended up and resulted in the tap immediately. So Tyson Pedro did a great, phenomenal job here. I'd like to see him uh, get another fight within that top 15 uh, range. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a Jan Blasiewicz uh, fight against... Him should he lose to Jimmy Manua? I don't want to see him against a Jimmy Manuel at this fight at this point in time. Another guy you could do is perhaps a Misha Serkanov, Sur- a Patrick Cummins, any of those guys. A John Volante. Uh, I think maybe you do the John Volante fight. That that would be a perfect one for him. You're going to go up against another striker. You still give him an opportunity to develop his takedown defense, his submission defense as well. But you give him a guy in John Volante who is willing and able to strike, and I think Tyson Pedro would be very much the favorite to win that fight. So I think that this is that would be a great next step, especially with a guy in who has some name recognition in John Volante being associated with that Chris Weidman bunch and in that camp as well. So I think that that's a great idea. And that's what you should do next. Again, another guy where we could be looking back and just saying, man, this really was a a good fight card. Um, Let's talk real quick. Juicy Formiga versus Ben Wynn. Juicy Formiga, I mean, absolutely phenomenal victory for him over Ben Wynn. He was able to really implement his his grappling very well in this fight. He set it up very nicely with his striking. He's gotten way better. I thought that if this was a straight uh, kickboxing matchup, that Ben Wynn would win this fight just because he's better at striking. It, In my opinion, I believe he still is better at the stri- better striker. But what really dictated this fight was Formiga's ability to dominate on the ground and be a dominant Brazilian Jiu Jitsu artist. That is what really gave him that advantage because once he got Ben Wynn to the ground in that first round, he wasn't able to submit Wynn, but he was able to control him to such extent and really able to really be dominant in those positions that it ended up in Ben Wynn being very tentative in coming in. Every time he did come in, Formigo was looking for that takedown and that transition to the takedown and to to be able to get those submissions, right? So, that's what you that's what really led to Formiga being able to win this fight. He finally got it to the uh, he finally got it to a point where he was able to time Ben Wynn's strikes and he absolutely perfectly timed Ben Wynn's uh, head kick in which you see him start to kick Formiga with his hands up as soon as that that foot Touches his hand, you start to see Formiga's spin hits him with a nasty spinning back fist. That, because of the fact that Benwin was so wide open after having thrown that kick, lands it to perfection. Then gets him in a rear naked choke, and you could tell it was r- very much under the um, the chin. Benwin was super out of it; didn't know even know what he was doing. And at that point, it was just waiting for the referee to realize that Benwin was uh, out and he was asleep. He sure was. He didn't tap, so respect to him for doing that, but he went to sleep, and Juicio Formiga came away with a stellar, stellar victory here. It's his first uh, back-to-back win since uh, 2014-15 when he beat Zach Mikovsky and Wilson Hayes. Since then, he had gone, lost to Henry Cejudo, won against Dustin Ortiz, and lost to Ray Borg. Um, but now he's been Utah Sasaki and uh, Ben Wynn. So that was a very big victory for Juicy of Formiga. I believe what's next for him, let's do a Joseph uh, Henry Cejudo versus Juicy of Formiga. Maybe you could do that again. He lost that fight by split decision. Or if you do, why to say Henry say who though for Demetrius Johnson, you could do a Jussier Formiga versus Joseph Benavidez fight, another fight that he lost. But he's gonna have to fight one of those top guys, in my opinion, before he gets to that Demetrius Johnson fight and look really impressive in that fight. His striking is coming along much nicer these days. He's able to set it up a lot nicer with his uh, jiu-jitsu and wrestling background that or his jitsu background that he has but he's able to mix it in well so that his takedowns don't become so predictable these days for ben Wynn i think this is a guy that's still pretty talented in the division he goes down a couple of notches but let's see him against another top 15 opponent someone in you know closer to 15 than than five of course but Definitely like to see what is next for him. This was a tough matchup for him. I thought he was just kind of outclassed in that grappling range. And, and, uh, you know, he's pretty good in the scrambles, but this is a guy who's on a different level. It kind of reminds you of Gunnar Nelson versus Damian Maya. I think Gunnar Nelson is much higher level than a Ben Wynn is. But it just reminds you about these guys that are so next level, like a Damian Maia, a Formiga, a that even if you're an elite guy as well, you better be in that 1% of the elite in order to compete with guys like Jusio Formiga in his in his realm and in jiu-jitsu. That is a real opportunity for him against anyone to put anyone away, even at Demetrius Johnson, who is excellent at jiu-jitsu. He's a guy that if he gets Demetrius on the ground, it becomes very worrisome for Demetrius to see if he can continue that title run. Okay, so, and this let's talk about the last fight, the one that's most important to me: Israel Adesanya defeating Rob Wilkinson via TKO. I mean, this was a show right here. This, ladies and gentlemen, is part of the reason why I love to watch mixed martial arts. This is. Was ultra impressive by Israel Adesanya. I believe he's got like a 65 and five kickboxing record. I mean, just absolutely outstanding striker. You think 65 and five, and you think this guy's 33, 35? Like uh, Gokhan Saki, who's coming into the ranks. You know, he's only had one or two fights, probably lost a few of them by wrestling or submission or anything. No, this is an absolute prospect. This is what you love to see: a guy from Nigeria. That in itself is pretty special. With the potential of the star power that he could potentially have to go along with you know Francis and two guys that are from Africa, right? And then he's just 28 years old. You think a guy 28 years old with that much kickboxing experience? And not only is he 28 years old, he also is 12 and 0 professionally in mixed martial arts. Get this, 12 wins. In 12 fights, all coming by KO or TKO. That is ultra impressive. Even for a guy that is not, you know, fighting the elite on the regional scenes, but are fighting guys that would be competent enough, I'm sure, to be able to take him down and submit him. Rob Wilkinson, it was a guy that. He's not a great middleweight. He's not an elite middleweight. But he's a guy that was clearly going to be a better grappler than Adesanya. But Adesanya showed really, you know, at least competent takedown defense. Was able to get off his back, get up to the feet quickly. Made it very tough for Wilkinson to get the takedown. I realized pretty early that Wilkinson was... Was trying entirely too hard, you know, really putting too much energy into taking him down. But it was because Adesanya is an absolute killer striking-wise. He almost reminded me of a more aggressive Anderson Silva. Um, they've got very two very different styles, definitely. Don't don't get me wrong on that. But his potential to really just be dominating in the striking in in striking realm. That's what I mean by he reminded me of Anderson Silva. In the sense that this guy is so much better than everyone else in this weight class at striking with his kicks and his and his punches. But not only is he better than you, he's not so much a counter striker. He He can counter very well and effectively, but he's also much more aggressive. That makes him extremely dangerous. If he can continue to work on his wrestling, if he can continue to work... On not being submitted or anything like that. This is going to be a scary guy for quite some time. In the UFC middleweight division. This is the fight. This is a guy in my opinion. Who most has the opportunity. Out of all these fighters to go. Okay UFC 221. The card that was terrible. But do you remember this. It actually ended up being one of the most entertaining cards. And that's where Israel Adesanya. Made it's UFC debut. The uh, current. UFC middleweight champion, right? We could be saying that in a few years. This is the type of potential that Israel Adesanya has. He's 28 years old. He's already clearly worked on his takedown defense to where he's able to, you know, competently defend the takedown against, you know, UFC level competition. Can he do that in the elite of the elite? Not too sure. Now let's not get carried away though. He's still going to have to work on a lot of those skills. He absolutely has a striking down. No doubt about it. But in order to for him to really succeed in the UFC. They've got to match make him correctly. I think he needs another fight or two. Of guys of Robert Wilkinson's. Um, you know. Elk of his stature right. I thought that. Adesanya, while being 6'4", being 185, he came in at 183. It makes me wonder, is there any chance that he would be able to get down to to, to welterweight, but probably not being that tall. Um, but it does concern me. I feel like, putting on a little bit more muscle, a little bit more strength so that he could make sure that he has enough to go against these guys like Ayolo Romero, Chris Weidman, Luke Rockwold, even a Robert Whitaker. Seems like he would have a strength disadvantage, but you never know. Technique a lot of times can overpower uh, straight power, so you just um, have to wait and see and find out about that, but it did concern me. He is a a bit lanky for that division. But if he can add on about, you know, five, you know, five, seven pounds of muscle and keep his weight, you know, not too bad of a weight cut, I think that that would be perfect for him as well as just continue to work on your ground game. If you're able to do so, I mean, this could be an absolute dangerous fighter to face in the middleweight division. I think he said something like, uh, very charismatic as well. I think he said something to the effect of middleweights, um... This is my yard, and I just pissed all over it. Like, (laughs) just marking this territory, saying this is his yard. He's ready to go. Uh, Let's let's put him through ranks You know, a little bit slow. You know, two fight, two more fights like this, and then once he gets those two fights out of the way, if he's able to come out victorious, let's get him a top 15 opponent. You know, in that 10 to 15 range. If he's able to win there and be impressive, based on his performances, you can decide to do. what you want with him next. And that would just be absolutely incredible, um, to see if he's able to fulfill that type of potential. So we'll see what happens. I think Israel Adesanya is the real deal. He was absolutely impressive. Still going to have to prove it against guys that are better grapplers than Wilkinson. You know, of course, and guys who are more well-rounded that could actually put some strikes together better than the Wilkinson can too, uh, can as well. But, um, this is a guy to watch. This is my star of the night. This is a guy that we have to uh, definitely uh take a look at and 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 we're, I think everyone was put on put on notice by Israel Adesanya. If you haven't watched him fight yet, you got to go watch that replay and, and watch that fight. He was absolutely phenomenal. UFC did the right job. The right uh made the right choice in making sure to play his fight right after the main event ended on pay-per-view as well to give him that opportunity to get that shine. I would expect to see Israel Adesanya and a main card on a fight night coming soon or even on a pay-per-view main card as well. So let's see what happens next in his career. Let's take him a little bit slow, but this is definitely a guy you should absolutely be excited about. So let me know what y'all think about the analysis that I provided, uh, what y'all disagree and agree with, uh, Romero, again, looking at standing. My star of the night, though, my breakout star of the night is going to be Israel Adesanya. But you had great performances by Tyson Pedro, Jake Matthews, tied to Avassa, Curtis Blades was able to pass the test. Not super impressively, but was able to do so nonetheless, which is impressive in its own right. Um, let me know what y'all thought of the fighters. And if you think uh, what, what your thoughts are in general about all these guys. So until then, I'll see y'all next time. Have a good one, guys. Bye.